Welcome. Please accept Jim and John's invitation to join them as they once again ask each other, what do you think about? Hey, John, what do you think about the Missing 411 series by David Polites? It's interesting. Those are documentaries, film sort of things based on a series of books that he wrote. I think he's trying to bring some sort of rigor, if you will, to investigating some of these missing person reports that seem to be a little bit on the weird side, like I have a little bit of a paranormal component to them. I'll be honest with you. At times, he has one or two that are pretty interesting, but most of them seem rather boring to me, honestly. The reason I asked is because we received an email request from, uh, what cool name should we give this one? How about super fanboy Allen's less of a fanboy friend, Caleb? Hi, Caleb. He sent us an email because he was turned on to the podcast by Super Fanboy. He suggested that we look at the missing 411, The Hunted. He wanted us to watch it and, you know, record our take on what Pilates is uh, presenting in there. Then he concluded his request with this. Also, I would love to hear what you guys have to say about mythical slash legendary sea creatures like the Kraken. Well, let me start at the end of his email and say this. Uh, Super fanboy Alan's less of a fanboy friend, Caleb. The Kraken isn't a legendary sea creature. It's uh, the giant squid. The giant squid grows to 40 to 50 feet of tentacled monster. It's unbelievable, man. These things are killing machines. Yeah, they are. Oh, yeah. With those nasty looking hook tentacles, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They leave scars on sperm whales. And no, sperm whales are not morbidly obese chronic donors to sperm banks. So there's that one answered right off the bat. (laughs) Right, but but are there other mythical sea creatures? I think there's a there's a podcast in there, of course, right? Oh, oh, there are. Yeah, but he just called the Kraken out by name, so I just wanted to set the record straight for him there. And uh, just a bit of personal advice for him: Lake White is not large enough to support a colony of, let alone a single giant squid. So you don't have to be afraid to engage in water sport activities therein. But um, in any case, back to his original thing, what I was going to say was, it is truly amazing how many people turn up missing in this country every year. Yeah, I, I had done the one episode earlier last season about weird disappearances. And I mean, it was over 600,000. And that number still just fucking blows my mind. So I dug again and it's, you know, an estimated 609,000 people disappear every year. But, you know, out of that 609,000, 600,000 are accounted for. Yeah, they find them, right? They turn up on their own or they're kidnapped or they, or they, uh, or they find a body in a ravine or whatever, but. Yep. Yeah, or just drop off the grid or whatever. But that is a crazy huge number of reports. It is. It is. That's like, what is it, 2,000 a day? It's, it's, a, it's a shit ton. So I like the idea of what this guy's trying to do when he brings some rigor to it. And he has some exclusionary clauses, right, for whether or not an, uh, an investigation by his group is going to be done or not, right? Right, yeah. He has several yeah bullet points that he has to tick off. 
Okay, so what he uses is profile points, right? Does he have a point of separation? In other words, can we identify where the person was prior to going missing, right? Where people saw them and then they didn't. Then there's the time of disappearance. Are there boulder fields nearby? And he seems to think that something related to granite rocks is driving stuff. Yeah, and he's not the only one. I mean, uh, you know, like the uh, the mystery lights, like the Marfa lights in Texas and the Brown Mountain lights in, uh, ah, shit, is it Georgia or one of the Carolinas? Uh, just to clarify here, for anyone who might be curious, the Brown Mountain lights are ghost lights in North Carolina. They think they're caused by granite, you know, like ships in the plates and granite rubbing against each other. Did it happen near water? Again, something about running water. Water is often thought of as like a uh, mystical uh, power source. Mm -hmm. People go on about the ionization and all that stuff. So, yeah. But he also has a weather event. Do they know what the weather forecast was for the area and at the time of the separation and also past then? Did the individual have a disability or an illness? That's one of the criteria he wants to know about. He really seems to like it if canines cannot track them. Yeah. Like they just go to a point and then poof, they're gone. And then later, is the body or you know evidence found in an area that was previously searched? In other words... You know, did we look around the, the bend a little bit and we never found anything, but then four days later, suddenly there's a pair of boots. Is there any missing clothing? Have they taken their shoes off? Have they thrown away their backpack? Also, when they find the body, is the coroner able to determine accurately a cause of death? So if he cannot, then he becomes more interested. Right. Yep. What he does is he looks for geographical clustering of missing people. And if any of these tick boxes for him. If he ticks enough of these, then he's, he's, he likes to investigate it. He also stated that he believes, generally speaking, that hunters are outdoorsmen with the following credentials. They're very experienced in the outdoors. They're aware and they're knowledgeable. But right off the bat, I call bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've known a few hunters, haven't we? Right. Yeah. I mean... Let me say, I don't have a beef with hunting. Uh, if it's your bag, that's fine. And I absolutely believe we need to thin out the deer. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have a problem with it, but it's just not for me. I, I tried it once. And me too. It was boring as hell. Yeah, it was cold and it was wet. Yeah, cold, wet, rainy, and miserable. And we were hunting rabbits, and I don't even eat rabbits. <laughs> I, I did it once, and I said, fuck this. But, uh, I mean, just because you're a hunter... Even if you take a hunting course, doesn't make you a outdoorsman. You know, you don't know automatically tracking and 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 all this crap. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, there are plenty of hunters out there who are all of those things, but I think the majority. But to assume that all of them are experienced is fallacy. Yeah, I think the majority are just normal people out there hunting. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Sport hunting is a different thing than professional hunting. And it also varies based on the area you're in, right? Like if you're in uh, Montana, for instance, hunting deer is kind of like fishing out of a bucket. I mean, they're everywhere. You know, you don't really have to learn a lot of craft. 
But there are people who do know these things. And, and, and I agree with you where in my experience, I don't exactly put a lot of weight in saying that they were skilled craftsmen or skilled hunters, you know, with hunt lore or any of these other sorts of things. But yes, you're right. He does seem to assume that they are worldly hunter experts. He's broken the documentary down into chapters. So we'll just. Oh, let me, before we go on, let me also include some things that he will say eliminate a missing person case from being investigated by his team. And they are if the person has any sort of mental illness or if it's a voluntary disappearance, if there's any criminal activity linked to the disappearance and any signs of animal predation. Not much of a mystery there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's assuming it, they got eaten. As I said, he broke this documentary up into chapters, and the first chapter was called Lily Pond Road, and it involved a Thomas Messick Sr. who went missing uh, on September 15th, 2015 in the Lily Pond, Brant Lake area of northeastern New York. He was 80 years old. He had an injured right eye because, as his wife explained, he had gunpowder blow up in his hand right there. That doesn't sound like an yep. experienced outdoorsman. I think he got some experience on that day. Well, yeah, yeah. He, he gained some experience. But uh, but to be fair, he did teach classes to kids about how to hunt, right? Yeah, hunting courses and survival courses. So, I mean, he had some, some outdoorsy training. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he could read a map and use a compass and knew the lay of the land because they had, they had hunted there before, right? And on this particular September day, they went out hunting, the, the men and their sons, and the older men that were sitting in the woods 100 yards apart. By a road, right, near the camp. By a road, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to walk that far. And they sent the young guys up the hill. Right, yeah. <laughs> you guys go up yeah. around the hill a couple miles up there. Right, yeah, because the younger guys had to go up around the ridge and drive the deer towards these guys so they could shoot them right that's the guy idea right yeah they in there it's you know they set up a picket line and basically we're going to shoot the stuff coming at him right so he was wearing a red cap and duck boots you know the the leather upper gum sole boots and uh and he had camouflage on and immediately that struck me as odd because i'm thinking Where's his hunter orange? But I did some digging, and in New York State, you don't have to wear orange unless you're 14 or 15 years old, or you're the mentor of a 14 or 15-year-old hunter. So they don't care if you get blasted. They recommend that you wear it, but you can wear whatever you want. I'd be wearing it. I would be wearing it, too. Yeah, because Head the to deer toe, don't frankly. see it. Right. Just to reiterate again that I'm not a hunter. I found this means of hunting a little dangerous sounding. Yeah, because the guys are going to be flushing it towards it, and you're shooting at them. You're shooting in their direction. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, I do wonder if you're one of the picket line and you shoot one of the bushwhackers, mm -hmm. does your dare tag cover that? A friend of this Messick guy claims that he heard an odd noise. And I don't know. Maybe I went into this wrong. You were being skeptical. You're finding fault. Y yeah, I wasn't assuming positive intent or something. Because he said he heard this odd noise and he couldn't describe it. But he really didn't try that hard to describe it. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. I mean, can't you go Ooh, or something? Uh, yeah, I wrote down his quote was, 
It's even hard to explain, but it was different. I just can't say what it was. It was like a zap, which lasted less than two or three seconds. Then make the noise, right? Right. Yeah. You heard it. You can try and mimic it. It's something. Yeah. Did it sound like it was an animal? Did it sound like it was a machine? Did it sound like something natural? I thought the exact same thing when I was listening to it. Yeah. Uh, Later, his son did say that his father had described to him that it sounded like the noise of a trap closing. So I I assume he means a a leg hole trap. But yeah, I'm just thinking, it just, I don't know. It was kind of aggravating. Well, I I think we're focusing on the minutiae here, not the fact that the old man disappears and they never found him. I wonder, this was never mentioned. Did he have any signs of senility or or dementia of any sort? Well, his wife kind of said that um, that he was just the nicest man and everybody loved him and all that kind of stuff. And he taught these classes kind of implies that he's in his right mind. The undersheriff, which I'm assuming is a deputy sheriff here in Ohio. I'm assuming the same thing. Yeah. Claimed that during the search for Mr. Messick, there was no sign of wildlife in the area. You know, no. No, nothing. No squirrels, no chipmunks, no birds. Yeah, I heard that, too. And then I'm thinking, why are you hunting there then? Uh, Yeah. And he said he thought that was definitely strange and out of the ordinary. For the search itself, the National Guard came in and lent helicopters equipped with infrared devices. The ground crew searchers used the bump line technique where they tie a rope off and they walk up and then rope off that section and walk back. Yeah, they make a grid. The next pattern. section, yeah, they make a grid so they know where they've been. 50 to 60 organizations as well as several individuals were participating in the search. So there were quite a few eyes out there in the woods looking for this guy. Yeah, and an 80-year-old dude who isn't dressed for the weather, especially at night, he's, he's not going to last long. Pilates claimed that on the fourth day of this search, the FBI arrived. And they never get involved in these things, right? And he says, the FBI does not search for missing adults. But there again, I think I'm going to call BS. There are instances <laughs> where they, they search. But I mean, the FBI is federal, right? So they wouldn't have jurisdiction unless it was an interstate kind of thing. Or they're invited in. If this is some podunk little area that doesn't have the manpower or the, you know, the uh, equipment, equipment. Yeah, I could see them calling the FBI, you know, I could buy that. Now, if they just popped up unannounced and that would be weird, but he never he just made statements like this and just expected you to accept them without thinking is the impression I got. And you're being so harsh. I just feel that you got to back up your claims with some sort of evidence. Only if you want reputation, if you're not cared about. I mean, you know, he's telling a story and selling movies and selling books. I mean. You know, we actually try to make this thing credible, right? And I don't think a lot of people really care if it's credible or not. Now, it was odd that on November 24th, same year, 2015, you were talking about the the groupings. Mm -hmm. Another guy disappeared in the area. His name was Fred Drum, and he was 40 miles south of the Lily Pond area where Messick was last seen. It was Thanksgiving Day. His wife went out to help at a banquet. When she returned, she found him gone. Their house appeared to be untouched. All their belongings were there. The car was still there. And uh, he just showed up missing. Or he didn't show up. Well, yeah, yeah. He just uh, didn't show up. 
that's that's that clustering thing again. And he doesn't ever really reach a conclusion on any of these, right? He just kind of presents them and says, this is what happened. And he doesn't say Sasquatch got him or aliens took him or whatever might be, right? He doesn't really say that. But that's kind of his thing. When I first heard him, it sounded like he was making like strong insinuation that it was Sasquatch that was getting these people. I agree. I've, I've heard the same thing early on in the books and early on in his stuff. Yeah. And now later on in this particular film. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Hell, the whole episode's a fucking spoiler. So I guess I should have put that at the beginning. He seemed to imply aliens. Yeah, he did. I, I looked up newspaper articles to see if I could find anything about this guy. And they're out there. Messick or the... Uh... Messick. So, I mean, this is an actual incident that happened. I mean, that can't be denied. But the family doesn't put any supernatural or paranormal explanation on it. No, they figure he wandered off and got lost. Right. The Post Star from Glen Falls, New York, stated that Messick had a history of heart issues and family members have speculated that perhaps he was stricken somewhere and wandered off and, you know, had a heart attack or whatever. Sure, but you would expect these 60 organizations. Let's, fig let's figure if there's one person per organization, there's 65 people wandering around looking for this guy. Here's the problem with that. Again, from the same newspaper, Tom Messick Jr. said that the family theorizes that the father just walked off and had a medical problem and got lost and settled down in a spot behind a tree or behind a rock where they couldn't find him. There are also a bunch of caves and crevices in the area he could have crawled into. And if he's in there and no one found him and leaf litter and all that crap falls on him. But don't decomposing bodies attract these dogs? But, but I was just going to say, but. I, that won't account for what's up with the dogs not catching the scent. I mean, it's, it's a tragedy for that family, and it's very weird. But I personally find it extremely annoying that, that he just presents these as, hey, look, this happened. Great. Let's talk about it. Nah, there's nothing to say. Let's, let's move on. And you can make anything sinister. like Sinister. Yeah, you can. Last night, you know what happened to me? As I was lying in bed, I slowly felt myself losing consciousness. Mm -hmm. And next thing I knew, my alarm was going off and I woke up. That's the way he would have told that story. Sure. Sure. He didn't say you went to sleep for the night. Right. It's just aggravating. I have missing time. Yeah. Of course, he's got books to push and movies to sell. So, Sure. I get it. And he, he managed to get a deal with Amazon, right? So good for him. In uh, the next chapter, he moved out to Santa Fe. He said people have gone missing in that area for decades. No, that's true, right? We've seen other things that talk about um, the Native American. Uh, um, there's a nighttime spirit thing that if it sees you and you see it, uh, you're dead. Um, oh, heck. No, it's not the Nakajikun. No. Nope, nope. No, it's uh, not going to come to me, but go ahead. He focused first on Audrey Kaplan, a 75-year-old woman who disappeared July 30th of 2014 after becoming separated from her husband while mushroom hunting. He stated that Kaplan somehow got separated from her husband. But there he's just fucking with us again because the fact of the matter is this. The husband grew tired because they're older. 
and he stopped the rest. And she decided she was going to continue onward in search of more mushrooms. So there's really no mystery in how they became separated. His somehow got separated is 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 bogus. And the somehow got separated. Yeah, she left. Yeah, she she said, "Okay, you rest. I'm going to go ahead." And he's like, "I don't fucking want mushrooms anyway." Well, I don't want anything to leave up here. It's all cold and rainy and shit. I don't want. Like yeah, yeah. We've been there. On August fourth, a member of the search party that was put together to look for this missing woman found a destroyed camping area far from the primary search area. He said a naked female corpse was found in a creek nearby. The body was in four to five inches of water. And unfortunately, this did turn out to be Audrey Kaplan. Why didn't he present further information on the fact that she was found at a pretty much destroyed camping area? Who takes camping equipment on a mushroom hunt? She certainly didn't because she was lightly clothed had two walking poles and a Trader Joe's bag to put the mushrooms in. Put some mushrooms in, right? And the mushroom digging isn't exactly like needing spade and pick work, you know? Right. Yeah. So where did this equipment come from? Her abductor, probably, maybe? That's the only thing I could figure you, right? So why why didn't he dig into that? He, instead of just saying, you know, she was found in this partly destroyed camping area, you know? I mean, and then that was pretty much the end of that story, you know? And he moved on to a guy named Melvin Nadel, who was 61 years old. He was on a hunting trip on the Elk Mountain with two of his friends. They got to their destination at about 4 p.m. Nadel stayed behind because he had recently hurt himself stepping in a gopher hole or something. Mm -hmm. And his buddies went off then to hunt further out. He walked about 100 yards off and built a crude hunting blind. He had a GPS device, but he left it in the car. But I guess if you're a hundred, oh, he only wandered off 400 feet or something. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, if you're only a uh, hundred yards from your vehicle, who needs a GPS? I mean, really? I mean, my woodcraft is that good. Exactly. Yeah. And then when the buddies came back, they couldn't find him. He wasn't anywhere around. Uh, they did find his uh, blind, I think. This passing hunter was carrying a cell phone and, uh, you know, he let him call for help and search and rescue came out and the dogs led to the makeshift blind, but they couldn't find any evidence that he had gone any further than that. So they searched for six days and no clues have ever been found concerning this guy's disappearance. And it stopped there, though. It's like, that's all. That's all. I know it's frustrating as hell, isn't it? I guess you don't have much more to say if nothing else is found, but yeah, crazy. I mean, the lack of speculation as to resolution and stuff, I get it. It would be absolutely completely made up speculation, right? Yeah. Because there's no evidence to support anything that we're saying. But for a person to completely disappear and not leave any scent walking anywhere or doing anything is beyond. And this guy was injured, so he wasn't up for hiking. Of all the things about this, I mean, I could write them all off as just, you know, someone's missing, except why aren't the dogs finding scent? Yeah, especially if they're trained to do so, right? I mean, if they could track him from the truck to the to the blind. Right. Why couldn't they go any further? Yeah. And the last guy in this section was a Stanley Vigil, who was 54 years old, which is not old at all, people. <laughs> You can remember those days, huh? Yeah, I can just about remember 54. 
On November 7th, 2017, he was hunting in the Barilla's Peak area. He was with his father and a friend. They were in a pickup truck driving and hunting. Well, yeah, it's because you sign a flashlight on or your headlights and you just blast away. I guess. Yeah. They were about 20 miles from Natal's disappearance area. And they saw a deer and Vigil jumped from the pickup with his rifle to chase it. And right then, fog and heavy rain came into the area. Now, there was a seven-day search. The dogs were reportedly unable to find Vigil scent. But I guess if there was a big old downpour, I guess scent could be washed away, right? I, I think that's generally, yeah, that's how it works. And then five months later, an off-duty cop found a body while fishing in the Pecos River. It turned out to be Vigil. And this was nine miles away from the original disappearing site. They were on a path or a trail, at least, if they were driving the pickup. So why couldn't he have just made it back to the road, you'd think? You know, it's odd. Because once you find a road, it's going to take you somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, walk to a road. Exactly. You know where you came from. Yeah. Chapter three, the crazies. Aaron Edges. This guy was 38 years old. which was just a baby. And he disappeared on September 5th, 2014 in Montana's crazy mountains while hunting with two friends. They had two horses, which the two friends were riding, and one pack mule that was carrying most of their equipment. Uh, the mule was spooked by something and it bucked off most of their stuff and it must have fallen down a cliff or something because they couldn't recover it for whatever reason. Aaron Hedges was evidently a frequent hunter in this area because he had um, caches of supplies hidden throughout. Yeah, that was weird to me. Yeah, it was very weird. The first thing it called to mind to me was a serial killer. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which one it was. who had kill caches all over this country. But yeah, he had this stuff just hidden out there. Unless maybe he was a prepper. Well, the thing is, is they said it was hunting caches. What is a hunting cache? I mean, what do you put there? You put in food, ammunition? Probably like MREs that are going to last, ammo, blankets. And I think specifically the one he was going to had a sleeping bag at least. So he goes off to get a cache that was relatively nearby. And he had a Garmin Rhino two-way radio. This displays your GPS when you talk. And then when the other guy talks, it shows his GPS. Well, the weird thing is... His GPS was way off from where he should have been. His cache was at one place and he was way east of that area. When he didn't come back the next day, his friends waited a whole day for him to return. Then they spent a day searching for him. And during this search, a huge snowstorm comes in and dumps 18 to 24 inches of snow within 24 hours. Then they turned to the officials and the official search didn't find much either except the dog found a pair of boots set side by side that were even further east than the last gps coordinate that was given on that two-way radio a fire pit was found with some of hedges supplies and equipment but the searchers had gone over this exact same spot two days prior and neither the fire pit nor the supplies were there so that's odd Surely they left traces in this 18 to 24 inches. And if he came into the area, he would have seen their prints. And, you know, why not backtrack from them? And, and, and at night, 
I don't, he didn't say how wooded the area was, I guess, but a campfire is pretty visible. Yes. And you could smell the smoke for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds to me like somebody that didn't want to be found, honestly. Yeah. And the sheriff that was interviewed indicated that he believed hypothermia was responsible for the dropping of the boots and the other items. Right. Because when I'm cold, I clearly take my shoes off. Well, it does make you do that. And then nine months later, in June of 2015, Hedge's orange vest, backpack, license, a 44 caliber Ruger, his bow, and snack bars were found. His rucksack was placed neatly against the tree, and his bow was laying right nearby. Exactly. So, I mean, he had equipment. That's the thing that kills me. And he had things to snack on. He and a thermos cup with an open energy drink was found on a nearby rock. And from that location, you could look down and see this farm of this couple that were interviewed in the show. Yeah, it sounds like this guy. He didn't want to be found. Didn't want to be found. He, yeah. On August 8th, 2016, a human skull was found under a, a different tree by some dudes from a dude ranch. Yeah, dudes from a dude ranch, dude. Yeah. And police found additional bones, a cell phone, and a jacket, all of which belonged to Hodges. And uh, his pelvis in one of his femurs was found partially buried. And then from there, we go into chapter four, which is the Donnell Vista disappearance and the Sierra camp. Yeah, I remember this one. This one, this one I thought was at least weird enough to actually have somebody looking at it because... There had been, what, three disappearances in that area? Yeah. Brad Phelps in October 2nd of 2016. No clues were found concerning his disappearance. And a Patty Tilhurst disappeared in the same area in 2014. And Anita Mayo disappeared in 2015 in the same area. In April 2016, Unidentified human remains were found, but they didn't match any of these people. Which really means there's four or five people that have gone missing. So, yeah, there's a, there's at least four. Right. So, yeah, this one needs investigation. Yeah, and I'm thinking serial killers. Yeah, it sounds criminal. Exactly right. And then, relatively nearby, another trio went missing. Someone named Jacobson, someone named Andrews, and someone named Madden. And then even a little bit further... There are 50-plus disappearances in the Yosemite National Park area. Yeah. National Forest. Yeah. Yeah. That clearly says to me, I don't want to go to Yosemite. Right. Yeah. Well, they, they, they say, the FBI says that there's like 20 active serial killers in the United States at any given moment. And um, honestly, this sounds like one of those to me. That's exactly, yeah. I, I agree. It's to, you know, in my professional opinion. Yes, and are highly skilled, well-versed in all matters criminological. Unfortunately, though, that's about all we can say about these because they're not investigated any deeper in the documentary and they're not mentioned again. And then from there, this chapter segued into the Sierra camp, which I thought was weird because it's that locale, but it didn't have anything to do with the disappearances. I agree with you. I mean, I mean, it was unrelated as far. Yeah, it just seemed like odd placement. Yeah, it could have gotten its own chapter, right? 
Exactly. And the Sierra camp has been a hunting camp since the 1800s. This group of friends started hanging out there in the early 70s, 71, I think it was. And they said that they saw all kinds of strange events, mostly occurring after dark. They heard weird noises like grunts and whoops and blowing noises, car door slams when there's no car around. A sound like a, a giant tuning fork being struck. Yeah, that, that tuning fork noise happens in some of the ufology stuff, right? But this one clearly sounds like Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah. And this is where the Sierra Sounds recording came from. Oh, Lord, let fair use copying be a real thing, because here are snippets from the actual Sierra Sounds recordings. <laughs> Although he doesn't actually mention the fact that people have dug into this, right? And I guess that it was decided that it's faked, but I, I think I read a site that kind of debunked it. In this documentary, they made these claims. Scientific analysis revealed that the sounds were made by creatures seven to eight feet tall. They're likely more than one creature. The register of the vocals was at a lower frequency than human speech. And it was determined not to be pre-recorded or re-recorded. And whatever was making the noise, they never did see it. They only heard it. Right. But they did record it. I mean, you can hear it. They also sighted strange lights and orbs in the area. Yeah, this one, um, you know, strange lights and orbs. Um, there's always strange lights in the sky, right? Yeah. But the one light they did focus on was like an elongated light that traveled through the camp slowly like ball lightning wood or something. It was oblong, like a, like a javelin. Yes. So this is weird. You got Bigfoot, you got strange lights, which makes you think of UFOs and then orbs make me think of ghosts, you know? When they're sitting around the camps up there, right? They had a camp stove. They had all this stuff. They, they used to go up for, for weeks, right? To go hunt, do whatever. I am certain there's alcohol. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in this early 70s. Yeah. At minimum alcohol. Exactly. So who knows if, if any of this is reputable? I don't know. Right. And how do you tell that it's something that's seven to eight feet tall from a... <laughs> Yeah, because that's what they said in the show, but that's what I thought. It's like, wow, I didn't know you could tell the height of a creature. Yeah, you're just expound, like trying to guess from based on the depth of the voice, which would be trying to indicate the size of the larynx, and then you're trying to extrapolate all this. It seems shaky to me. I mean, haven't you ever seen big guys with little tiny little voices like Mike Tyson? Then we get to the last chapter, and this chapter ticked me off. I agree with you. It does not belong on here. And why he stuck it in here, I have no idea. And then to me, this is total bullshit, this thing is. But go on. Yeah. So chapter five is the Predator case from Lima, Ohio. Go Ohio! But why'd you have to go with this? Exactly. There's, there's a lot more weird shit in Ohio than this thing. This woman named Jan Maccabee was deer hunting on August 29th, 2010. She was up in a deer stand. That she made. And she goes to all the time. And all of a sudden, the woods fell eerily silent. As woods are wont to do. 
she was looking around and she saw a transparent visual distortion in some trees. Uh, she described it as looking like saran wrap or for our non-U.S. listeners, uh, cellophane wrap or plastic wrap yep. that was in the trees. It was visible for nine to 11 seconds. It was shaped like a blob. And she did have the presence of mind to take a photograph of it. Yeah, she had a Blackberry. They made a point of that. Okay, yeah. After she lost sight of the blob, the woodland sounds returned. Right. So the reason I, I get pissed off about this one or irritated is nobody disappeared. It has absolutely nothing to do with the disappearance. This lady is the only witness of the whole thing. She says she saw it for nine seconds. She refuses to use the blind even today, according to her, that was in her backyard, basically. To me, I think she had a floater or something in her vision. You know, uh, you can see all kinds of crap if you actually sit and look at something long enough, you know. If her husband wasn't, uh, oh, what the hell's he done? Uh, he writes books about uh, UFOs. What's his name? His name is Bruce, Bruce McAbee. Bruce McAbee. Yeah, he's an author and writes books about UFO stuff. I don't believe if her husband wasn't this guy that this would have gotten any attention at all from this guy that makes this film. Certainly didn't fit in with this theme. Put it with the Sierra sounds in its own show, you know. Now, supposedly, not long after, her husband, Bruce, received an email from his nephew who described a bright light that appeared and hovered in the sky over his high school marching band practicing at the school's football field. Yeah. The light waxed and waned in size, and the sighting was approximately half a mile from Jan's sighting of this weird predator-like distortion, and it was on the same day. But that's about it. Was this final chapter meant to uh, imply that he now believes that the predator is an actual being and they're hunting human beings? I mean, alien abductions, we don't know why, right? I mean, to be fair, if you believe in alien abductions, you don't know why they're doing it. And we don't right. know if people are being abducted and then never seen again. We just hear about the guys that come back. We don't know if we're being hunted. You don't know how it takes place. But this was weak. This one was really weak. And I felt like maybe it was there to pad out the documentary to the needed hour and a half or something, because this didn't have anything to do with anything. And, and a bad way to end it, because it definitely... Oh, yeah. Left a bad taste in your mouth, didn't it? Yeah. Soured it. I mean, I was sour already, and yeah. He could have ended with the Sierra group, right? I mean, maybe start with this lady with the saran wrap, and then you could extrapolate from the beginning with it or something. I don't know. But I was disappointed in the entire hour and a half worth of my life that was gone, right? I, I don't feel like I got anything out of the documentary. There was no conclusion to be made. None at all. It's a shitty job of investigation, right? He literally just said, this happened, this happened, this happened. He never asked the next question. He never went to the next question and, and linked the dis disappearances that occur in an area. He never linked them. He just said there were other disappearances in the area. Yeah. Okay, great. That's your thesis. Get out there and investigate and find out if they actually are linked. And nothing to me other than the dog seemed overly Suspicious. weird. I mean- People go missing. It's a sucky but true fact. We know this. 600,000 every year, right? If it's your family and your loved one, it really sucks. And even where the mentioning of the guy with the shoes and all that, I looked up hypothermia and the symptoms include clumsiness or lack of coordination and confusion or memory loss. So if you're going through that, you'd be running all over, not even knowing where you're going. And it tends to make people think they're hot. 
rather than actually being cold, and they begin shedding their clothing. So it wasn't weird that this guy left his boots and kicked off his jacket and dropped some equipment because, hey, it's heavy and it's making me sweat. I got to get rid of this. It definitely points to impaired thinking or a serial killer. The people most susceptible to hypothermia are infants, older adults, and people who have mental or physical problems. You know, I wonder if the FBI involvement, because they may not have been invited because they acted surprised that they showed up. Well, I wonder if maybe they were investigating a serial killer. Could have been. Yeah. I mean, that kind of wraps it up with a nice, tidy little bow, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Four one one solved. There we are. We don't need to have another one. Thank God. So how do we come to conclusion here? Would you recommend that our, our podcast listeners watch this movie? I would think that just considering the nature of our podcast, that our audience would most likely be interested in the topic. And, hey, they may enjoy watching the show. Different strokes, different folks, you know? It does certainly present a fun mental exercise for viewers to engage in, allowing them to try to solve the mysterious disappearances and, in some cases, reappearances. Viewers should just know going in that the documentary is high on speculation and insinuation and low on conclusion and deduction. So if you're looking for answers... You won't find them in Missing 411, The Hunted. I agree. I agree with you. He was so completely unwilling to make any kind of a conjecture or a statement or or a leading question or any of this kind of stuff. It was no fun. As far as the disappearances that were portrayed in the show, there really was nothing outlandish or preternatural about any of the cases. Yeah, they are mysteries in that some people were never found and some people died mysteriously, but there's no evidence of ghosts or cryptids or aliens or whatever being involved in these disappearances. You know, there's no more mystery here than in any disappearance anywhere at any time. Right. And all that being said, maybe I'll give one of Pilates books a read. Maybe he provides more of what you and I, John, seem to have been desiring in the written format. It gives him much more of a sandbox to work in. And maybe in there, he does get around to determining just what it is about hunters and outdoorsmen that attracts whatever it is kidnapping them. I don't know. So there you have it. Our professional take on Missing 411, The Hunted. Our entirely professional. Yeah. Heavily researched. Not opinionated at all. Pissed off our ones of listeners. <laughs> We're going to get nasty tweets from this guy. Yeah. Super fanboy Alan's lesson of fanboy friend Caleb. I hope we came through for you. And as always... What Do You Think About is co-written by John Gordos and Jim Dumermuth. Our theme music, In Suspense, is provided by Podsummit.com. Thanks to Hunter Dumermuth for production assistance. And thanks to you, our listeners. If there are any left. Yeah. Please take the time to rate our podcast on your favorite listening platform. And drop us a line like... Uh, Caleb did at wdouta at gmail.com. 
see, we do read these and we do react to uh, emails. Yep. Eh, if you're cool enough, that is. Hell, we'll even respond if you aren't cool enough. We responded to both Alan and Caleb. Have you met those guys? Not Caleb, but Alan, I have. I mean, Caleb sounds like a great guy and all, but he just. Copyright 2021 by John Gordos and Jim DeRimuth. Yeah. That way you don't have so much editing. Yeah. I'm not, or uh, Amazon, Amazon, not Netflix. The Netflix, the Amazon offering. Hey, this message is just for uh, Super Super Fan Alan and uh, Super Fanboy Alan's less of a fanboy friend, Caleb. 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 Just fucking with you guys.